I love the series that we're in. It started with going too slow, all right? You guys know that, and now too fast. And um, so that tells me that there is a medium, some, there's a pace, there's a margin for each and every one of us. My speed may be different from your speed, but you have to figure out your speed. For instance, my pastor's speed is, I mean, his slow is faster than most of my fast uh, stuff, you know? And sometimes he makes me very nervous. But you need a mentor that makes you very nervous. Matter of fact, it's really not mentor. Somebody erased the first three letters, supposed to be T-O-R, tormentor. He does it all the time. And, uh, and it's always been for my good. I have felt the difference in my life. But he's, his slow is his fastest. His slow is fast for me. And I have to tell him, could you slow down just a little bit? Give me two things to work on and not 17, you know, just two. And um, but it's a beautiful thing to understand how, where we stand with God. Your job during this series and in your life from now on to figure out what your pace is. Because sometimes you can go a little faster in your pace or slower, but you have to find your margin with God. You have to find out what speed he has called you to based on your personality, based on your resources, based on the people around you, based on the goal he's got, how far he's got for you to go. And it's a beautiful thing to, to try to figure that out with God. Let's pray and we'll get going. Lord, pace is an amazing thing. I mean, you've been pacing us since the world began. You created man on earth. And, wow, things messed up really badly. So it seemed you would have jumped in right away and fixed it completely, but you understand us. You understand what we need. We need time. We need a pace to move at. Help us to understand our own personal paces. And in your grace, which is enough for us, help us, Lord, to get to the goal right on time. Help us not to be pushed to go too fast. In Jesus' name, everybody aloud said, say amen for me. Uh, you got to get your encouragement everywhere, any way you can. Our text is roll with it, right? There you go, man. First Corinthians chapter nine, of course, verses twenty-four to twenty-seven. I'll be picking verses strategically through that as we go. We won't read the text right away. Um, how many of you know who invented the automobile? Raise your hand. We got a bunch of F plus people in here. I mean, you don't forgot how I many. I'm not going to embarrass you. If you know who invented the automobile, raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you who. All right. How many of you don't know? How many of the rest of you just don't care? Just give me my car. Give me my key. That's because you ain't got a license yet. Yeah, you're raising your hand over there. <laughs> I've been taught all my life that Henry Ford invented the automobile. He pioneered the production of cars, automobiles in the United States. But I am sad to tell you that he did not invent the automobile. 
That honor actually usually goes because people in different quarters over the world, the Western world, were tinkering around with ways for a carriage to be horseless and to have power of its own to carry a person from one place to the other. And um, that, that honor has been given to another man, man whose last name you absolutely know, and you, many of us, would want his name um, connected with us uh, in terms of the vehicle that we drive. His name is Carl, you ready? Benz. Of Mercedes-Benz fame. He, he uh, was given the patent in 1885. His vehicle, though, was a three-wheeled car, which doesn't disqualify it, but he's the guy who has the patent. Eight, say the year 1885. All right. Now, Henry Ford's Model T began rolling off an assembly line. Now, what Henry, if I can say that with him not in my presence, what Henry is uh, credited with is creating a system of mass production of cars, assembly lines. And I'm told he got that idea from someone else. As a matter of fact, he got it from an African-American, to tell the truth. And he, he used it and went with it, and production, and we're still using those principles today. And cars are everywhere because he was pumping those cars out. But his cars did not uh, come off the assembly lines in Detroit, where Kevin's from, until 1908, 23 years after the first car was invented. Isn't that interesting? And by the way, guess what was invented just three years after the first automobile was invented? No, it wasn't a horn. All right? was not the, the, the cup holder. I wish they had invented the drop stop back then. You ever you seen that on Shark Tank? I've been wanting to get one, but they don't have them at the you know, bed and bath and all this stuff yet. They got them online. Uh, you put this thing between your seat and this little console. You know why. Because you always drive with the fries in your hand. I think I got, <laughs> I, got, I got about three orders of fries down between, especially right over here on this side. If you just put that, that would have been a great event. But he didn't invent. That wasn't invented back then either. Uh, it wasn't the CD player. We got those too much anymore, right? For downloading. And it wasn't GPS, was it? But it was the velocimeter. You know, the velocimeter. You know, it meter to measure velocity. They called it a velocimeter. We called it the speedometer. All right? And it only took three years for the need for speed to give birth to that invention. Matter of fact, cars weren't really going too fast, you can imagine, back in that time. Uh, and you wonder why in the world would uh, they need a speedometer? But we like to know how fast. We love to know how, um, how high. We love to know, you know, uh, just we want to measure stuff. And the automobile was invented not just to give the horses rest, but it was invented to progressively get us to where we're going faster and faster. One guy, 
Voltaire, you've heard of him, he was a critic from way back, he said, it is crazy to invent something that goes that fast. Anybody knows that any uh, organism that goes any faster than a horse will have a heart attack. Where he got that from, I have no idea. And I'm sure some kind of an automobile probably drove him to the graveyard. Um, actually, though, I kind of understand why we need a speedometer. Because speed applies to every area pretty much of our lives. Uh, we human beings, we always want to know how far, how fast, how high, how big, how much, you know, especially compared to the other guy. You know when you're on the highway, you don't want anybody passing you because you feel like somehow you're getting there, you know, too slow. You are you getting behind. You hate driving behind people like me, especially when I am in the left lane beside the 18-wheeler, right? Because I have decided that I am just not going to speed. I'm just not going to do it. I think it keeps you alive longer, not just because you might have an accident, but uh, for other reasons that have been happening in our society these days. I want to follow the law. Keep it on 10 and 2. Yes, officer, I'm just fine, you know, and just keep the speed limit to lower the number of times that I could possibly be pulled over. But I want to do it more than for that reason, because God said himself in Romans, he said, obey every ordinance. Everyone of man. That's an unjust, uh, be quiet. That's nothing about morality in, in the speed limit, all right? He said, obey him. And so for me, if I speed, I feel like, and you may agree with me, disagree if you want, you'll be wrong. I feel like I'm sinning when I'm speeding. You don't feel like it, many of you, most of you, because your conscience has been dulled, all right? <laughs> you don't like this too much, do you? You don't like this sermon so far. Let me move on to something you might like. You don't like the speed thing because you're going to get in your car right after service and do it. Why on a Sunday? I don't know. <laughs> You know, there, there's a dimension of speed that's even more important than your miles and that miles per hour, though. It's the speed of your life. How fast are you going? And why are you going that fast? Frankly, even in your car, when you're speeding, you don't want to really get to where you're going. You don't really like your job that much, but you got to hurry up and get there. You know, you want to work. You want to work fast. You want to hurry up and be the first one out of there. You want to be the first one to get home. Oddly enough, in our country, they call the time when most of us come home the what kind of hour, and everybody's going slow, but we feel we're rushing on the inside, trying to get home. We need to slow down. You need to slow down, especially when the pressure is on. There's something inside of me that I think I've been taught by the Lord. When things get really hairy around me and crazy, I'm learning how to automatically slow down. It may be wisdom or it may be just getting older or something, just getting tired of speeding. I don't know what it is. 
I'm getting to the place and I'm realizing something almost magical is happening. It seems the slower I go, the more I get done. This is deep stuff. The, the less you waste. I remember a placard up in our house a long time ago, and some of you had it and may still have it. Haste makes waste. And waste makes want. And want makes strife between the good man and his wife. That's <laughs> true, I think, a lot of times. So slow down, and your wife won't get mad at you as often. <laughs> It rolling kind of a catch it around. I think the two areas in which uh, going too fast can be dangerous. They are these two areas. When there is significant challenge, can you say that? When there is, and when there is desperate need. So significant challenge and desperate need. I believe we're pushed too fast at times because of a significant challenge. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25 there, first part of verse 24 says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? That's really sad. You see the Olympic trials, right? And this guy, because he either pulled a hamstring or popped an ACL or just Barely missed by one lady, missed it by one one hundredth of a second. You see that? And she can't go. She has worked for the last four years between one Olympics and another. 7,000 hours. That averages out to about five to six hours a day for four years straight. And you can't go. Everyone runs. Only one person gets the prize. I think the Olympics are a beautiful display of the highest physical achievements that we could ever, physical achievements we could ever, ever uh, uh, participate in. They set a standard for how great and how big and how fast and how high human beings can go, how much you can pick up, how much you can handle, how much you can endure, how quick you can be. All these different things are standards that are set every four years, and that's why these people are honored when they win. It's beautiful. But almost every event has a speed component to it. Just about everyone you can think of right now in your mind, speed plays a part in it. Not just a hundred meter uh, a dash. Not just a 110 Hurdles, where, man, those are the glamour sports, man. You got insane, but I mean, Usain Bolt running. You know, he's got to be insane. That's a, he's a freak of nature. And here's the problem. He knows it. I don't know if you heard him the last time he ran the Olympics. He, the cameras were on him. He says, I am a legend. Everyone knows I am a legend. Everybody stood there and said, yeah, I, I guess so. When you can back it up, you can say anything. I'm a legend. He's a freak of nature. Makes everybody look real, real bad. God has blessed that man with speed. But every other event has something to do. Speed has something to do with how that performance gets from A to B. 
even the balance beam. Because you got to know at what velocity you need to make your somersault. I guess I need to leave it down, huh? Somersault on the uh, on the beam. You got to know when you're swinging on those high bars how fast you're going to turn, how fast you will flip. There's timing in everything, even in fencing. You know they do this stuff. There's an, uh, a Muslim lady now, and she she picked the sport because you got a head covering. You know you covered up. You got this thing in front of you, so she and she is an Olympian. But you got to know how quick, how fast. It's all about speed. Everything is about speed, you know. Of course, every athlete has to consider pace and quickness if they want to achieve the gold, silver, bronze. Now, I never got even close to the Olympics. I didn't even get close to going to the Olympics. I went to Atlanta one time. And said, tell me, and I walked in the park, you know. But when I was in school and college, our dorms, someone came up with a brilliant idea to have competitions between the dorms, right? And um, I signed up. Track and field, baby, you know. I wasn't even close. Beach high school, don't even. Oh, man, you know, you know, come on, Hollingsworth with your high water pants. Come on, you're going to be in part. No, for me, sit down. But in college, nobody could tell me to do that. And they said, you can sign up. I signed up. I signed up for the high jump. I was approaching six feet tall at that time, man. You know, slender guy can run. And uh, I didn't even know how you do it. I didn't know you supposed you couldn't come off of two feet. You got to come off of one. And I got disqualified on that one. But at least I tried. I signed up for the 400 meter. So I knew it wasn't real quick, but I think I could run pretty fast and kind of, you know, I could beat these dudes here. And in my heat, that guy hit that gun, pow. I don't know about nothing about running no 400 meter. <laughs> pow, I took off. I said, I'm leaving these fools in the dust. Look out of way back there. And I'm running almost full speed. I left them way back there. I'm wondering why are they running like this? I didn't have to ask when I got to turn number three. Now, there is an actual wall out there. You ever heard of hitting the wall? It's invisible. But something went boom. I said, what? And I tried. felt like concrete was in my feet. And I'm thinking, this is not good. And I'm trying. I'm, I'm on the home stretch. And I'm running. And my, my lungs say, I will kill you if you don't stop. My legs are, you fool. What's the, hey, brain, somebody tell him, shut it down. And I'm running, and the guys from my dorm said, come on for me. Come on. And then my mouth said, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I just, it was an epic fail, man. I just clumped over on the side. And they went, oh, man, I was just. 30 yards away from the finish line, and I was just dead out there. I think I laid down there for two hours. I was dead. I didn't know that I was running too fast. You're laughing because that's your life. Your life is the same way. 
we bite off more than we can chew. And we start running too fast. And we know we're getting it because we are ahead of everybody. We are the, we're the hare and everybody else is the tortoise. The joke is actually on us. I found out you don't run a race of that distance like that. And neither do you run your life that way. We need to be thankful. Thank God that in the spiritual life, winning does not depend on someone else losing. I love that about Jesus. I love that about Christianity. I don't have to work for my salvation. I get to work when I am saved. We were created, Ephesians says in chapter 2, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship. He did the work. See, Jesus fulfilled the law when he came to the cross. He did something. He did a work that made sure that I didn't have to work for my salvation anymore. He hung out there on that cross and said, let me do the work for you. And now when you work, and all of us must work, but now the qualification for salvation is not works. It's grace. Your grace what is enough what for me? It's enough for me. It could be for you too, but you know. Grace is enough, but I am created for good works. I don't have to work to get salvation because when I work alongside somebody else, I'm wondering whether I'm doing enough. Somebody from a, a religious group I won't name today, but they stand on towers and they watch, and I won't say what their names are. I always get bad press when I call their names. They call my name all the time, but when I call theirs, they get angry, some of them. Once somebody called me, she, a lady called me racist because I said it one time. I, I'm still trying, that was 15 years ago, I'm still trying to figure out why I was racist because, you know, like, see, it wasn't even about that. I wasn't picking at them. I said, I hope that the Jehovah's Witness comes by your house. That's all I said to my, to my church members because they need to study the word running and hiding like there's some kind of gang or something when they knock on your door. You know you do that. You know you don't. I ain't going to answer that, though. Sending us, a, sending a person to your house for you to help them, and you hiding in the closet at your own house. Something wrong with this. All right. But, um, a guy stopped me in what they call the four-sided park. That's what they call the four-sided park. It's totally what's called the four-sided park. Now I understand why they said it, because it sounded like I should have been. But um, he says, the person asked me, uh, did I know what salvation was about? I said, yeah, Jesus has already appropriated that, appropriated that for me. And I'm already in. I'm saved. He says, no, no, you have to work for it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's why we out here doing this stuff. And frankly, when it was over, I felt so sorry for them. Because the problem is, how do you know when you've done enough? How do you know? Our Islamic friends, the same way, they tell me that Allah, when it comes time for judgment, no matter what you did that was good and right, he could decide at that moment, 
not to let you into paradise. He, he can decide that. With the greatest of respect, let me off of that bus. Great respect. I'm trying to say it with great respect. I want somebody who knows what shape, what kind of mess I'm in, and that I cannot, no matter what I do, no matter how fast I run, I will never achieve salvation on my own. There's nothing I can do for it. I need help. I need grace. I need somebody to cover me. So when it comes to that time, I say, I plead your blood. I got no defense. I am lost and undone without you. Help me. And God says, I have already helped you. I helped you 1983 years ago. And it's done. Thank God I don't have to run so fast. Thank God y'all don't have to lose for me to win. Because they had to be, y'all would just have to lose. <laughs> I'm sorry. If one person in this room got to win and everybody got to lose, it's going to be me, not y'all. I love you, but I don't love you that much, including that pretty lady. There's a lot of pretty ladies over there, but that one, that's the real pretty one that's connected with me. I'm sorry, Sandra. I ain't going to hell for you, sister. She ain't going for me, all right? It's a mutual thing. i do anything else in the world. Uh-uh, not going to do it. Sorry, sounds selfish. Oh, well. Thank God we don't have to choose who. Whosoever will, let them come. Amen. Hallelujah. You ought to give him praise for that. Oh, my God. You know, I win because we and I become more Christian today than I was yesterday. I win because my goal is to be more Christian tomorrow than I am today. And whatever speed God tells me to move at, to get there, I need to do that. Even the timing of your life is up to God, not just what he's called you to do. It's when you need to do it, how you need to do it, where you need to do it. And so it's all about pace, right? Pace in life is determined, I think, by, first of all, the distance you got to go. You know how far, if I'd have known that 400 yards, you know, it's foolhardy to take out that fast. I think I could have won that thing, man. If I had, I would have brought that in here today and showed you, but I have nothing to show you today. Somebody else got it. It's dependent on the distance, the time frame, based on the track record of the people who run it against you, if we're running against each other, right? Pace is determined also by the storehouse of physical strength I got, mental ability I have, emotional resources. You can be faster and stronger than everything anybody, but if they got your mind, like Muhammad Ali did with everybody, he took their mind before they stepped in there. He was working on it. He had beat them down before they got in there. Calling people names. Trump ain't the only one called people names. Ali started that mess. Gorilla from Manila and, you know, calling people all kind of names and messing with them, get them angry, get them all worked up, and let them punch themselves out, and then he beat them down. And he told them before he got out, I am the greatest. Yes, you are. But he had a storehouse. 
Look at verse 25 there. 25, first part of the verse. All athletes are disciplined in their training. Man, discipline. Discipline is an amazing thing. It means to proceed at a designed speed, see? Uh, and, and, and that design is always the rule. When you're training and when you are executing uh, in the event. Verse, second part of the verse, 25b. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Listen, you don't have to worry about somebody else beating you, and when you get the prize, it's going to last forever. Please don't tell me your life is too hard. Anything you do, no matter how hard it is, is nothing compared to what the prize is going to be when you get to heaven. There's a member of your church who lives in heaven who went there just a few days ago. Her name is Rose Mann. Some of you know her. She stands before Jesus, and she's saying, grace was enough. It's enough for me, and I don't have to move over when you show up. There's something amazing about heaven. Nobody has to get out of line for somebody to come up in the line. There are no lines in heaven. My Jesus, who is everywhere, stands in front of me, and he stands in front of you. You ever notice he never leaves you alone? That's good and bad. You understand that, right? He just stays on your case. Ain't there somebody else in the body of Christ? You got the master guy. You got billions. Why are you fooling me all day? He's just right here. That's the beautiful thing. Oh, when trouble comes, thank God. He's an ever-present help. Thank God you were there when things were good. Thank you for being there when things were terrible. We do it to win an eternal prize. Now, we're pushed too fast, folks. At times, because we have, uh, because there's a challenge. But secondly, because there's a desperate need. Don't let your challenges force you to run too fast. Desperate need is probably the most dangerous thing that we face. Now, big problems show up when the pressure is on. Everybody can look cool when everything is, you know, is running just smooth. It's when your wife gets on your nerves. That's when you're going to find out if you really love her. Oh, man. You find out when the boss tells you to do something that's really onerous to you. You find out when you have an opportunity to get to where you want to go and you got a real bad need and the prize is slipping you right in the face. The need is desperate and the doorway to get it is Desperation. The greater your sense of need, the faster you're tempted to run to satisfy the need. The problem is that this can end in personal disaster. Here's some questions. Is there an area in your life in which you are sure that God wants you to be patient, but you're not confident that he'll show up on time if you are patient? You're not confident. Okay, I'm going to be patient now, but come on now. You have to come on through for me. <laughs> Secondly, have you assumed that he would be present at a certain point, but the deadline already has passed? How do things work out for you when you went ahead, even after the deadline? I'm going to fix this. Now. I'll deal with you, Jesus, later. You catch up with me later. I'll catch you later. No, Jesus has to catch you later because you've gone out ahead of things. 
Now, the story of ancient Israel and its first king, Saul, I think it should serve as a, as a warning to us. His anxiety over a looming threat, a threat that was building for over a week. It was building up, building up to the point where he, had, he felt like he had to disobey the word of God. That choice altered life for him, not only for his present time, it changed the trajectory of the leadership of Israel from his family lineage. Jesus Christ would have come likely from his family lineage. But everything took off in another direction because of one event. One event can change everything in your life for you because you went too fast and went out ahead of God. To tell the truth, it's really not one event. That's just the straw that broke the camel's back. You've been building that stuff for a long time. Building up, building, building. And this one crucial moment, you felt it in your heart. I can't go ahead of God, but I got to do it. I I don't know what to do. I'm going to lose it. I just got to go ahead. Things changed from then on. Changed for the whole people. Now, in the book of 1 Samuel, you see the text right there. I have with it now 10 verses there. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And we'll kind of explain as we go. We're going to begin to see clearly that when the pressure is on, we can feel pushed to go too fast. We can do some desperate stuff. Here it is. Beginning at verse 5. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel, verse 6, saw that a tight spot, what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Here are the people of God running from the enemy. That is not even their history. They faced so many enemies and ran them off. Now, somehow, under Saul, they were probably picking up, ooh, God just told me that, Picking up the spirit of their leader. You know that can happen? In your house? The song says, My boy was just like me. You remember that? When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son. We'll have a good time then. Son picked up his dad's spirit. Never home, never, ain't got no time. Dad wants his son to visit him. Uh, you'll get you have a good time one day, Dad. Yeah. Hmm. We go too fast when we're intimidated. Meanwhile, it says, the next verse, meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Fear will do that sometimes. Secondly, we feel the pressure when we become impatient. Verse 8 says, Saul waited there seven days for Sam. That's a long time to wait. I am not mad at this man. I would have done, I think, what he's done without God's influence. The man waited 24-7 plus 24-7. That's what he did. That's a long time to wait. 
168 hours. Is that right? In a week? That's a long time to wait. Bad things happen when you don't follow God's instructions. You ever notice that to be true? I wonder why we just keep doing it, though. <laughs> Something we need help. We need some therapy. We need Jesus. Why do we keep doing this stuff? Pressure. Does the song say, pressure, pressure, pressure? Verse 8 says, Saul waited there seven days uh, for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. As Samuel had instructed him earlier. Stop. As Samuel had instructed him. The man of God, the prophet of God, who spoke from God's word, said, wait seven days. Samuel didn't come. I can dig that. You think God's going to come and he doesn't show up? It's a problem. We feel desperate when our support system is falling apart, too. Man, everybody's leaving. I'm the, I'm the leader. Which way did they go? These dudes are hiding everywhere. Third part of verse 8, 8c says, Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. Verse 9 says, so he demanded, bring the burnt offering and the peace offerings. The king is not supposed to do that. The prophet is. But I'm just going to go ahead because... I'm feeling Saul. Saul didn't say, I'm going to leave you behind, God. He wanted to honor God. But he couldn't wait on doing it the right way. So he said, I'm just going to. Seemed like he, I mean, I would have been mad at him. He just went on and, and just fought without God. But he wasn't that stupid. At least he prayed, right? Brought the sacrifice and he prayed. Uh-huh. Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Say, myself. Here's the really scary part, verse 10. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. If he had only waited 50 more minutes, God's talking to you. Going ahead and getting that thing on credit when God told you to save. Going ahead and quitting that job, going to get the next one, and out of the frying pan, come on. It's amazing how the same spirits from one job jump over to the next one. I think you're bringing them things with you. It's the same stuff goes on on this, all these jobs. <laughs> you think it's possible God was testing the king? Yeah. Let me clue you in on something. Everything in life is a test. You hear me say everything came out of my mouth? Everything? Everything you do is a test. Every choice is a test. Every day you have a test. There's not a day that comes, comes up in your life that when you feel the pressure that it's not a test that God has ordained. Everything is a test. Having this testing is over and I get to heaven. No, won't you? I don't want to go yet, but I, I just be glad. I think it's possible God's testing you. It goes on. Saul went out to meet and, and welcome Samuel. But Samuel said, what is it that you have done? Saul replied, well, I saw my men scattering from me. And, and, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And, and the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. And I haven't asked for the Lord's help. 
So I felt compelled. I felt compelled. I felt compelled. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. Samuel screamed, how foolish! You have not kept the command of the Lord your God that he gave you. You waited seven days and messed up. It's not the good stuff you do for God that's going to knock you out. It's not the great things I do, the great exploits. It's not how long I waited. It's the fact that what we do after we wait because God didn't show up is that little moment. That's the thing that gets us. It's not all the waiting. It's that little moment. Because that little moment says, I don't trust you. It's a statement to God. I don't trust you to do you said you were going to do. We have to be real careful about that, don't we? Look at your neighbor and say, don't we? And look at him and say, yeah, you and me. We both have to be careful about that. You have not kept the command of the Lord, your God, who you gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. That one little choice. 14, but now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept his command. Wow. There's much more here. I want you to take it and study it. But it's really interesting that the man that he picked after Saul was a guy who was willing to wait and do whatever it took. Saul was after that man for years after David. And he just would not kill him. He wouldn't short-circuit God. Do not touch God's anointed. He kept running. Saul on one side of the mountain. He's on the other side of the mountain. Saul looking for him and goes right into the cave where David is to relieve himself. And everybody has to get some relief. All right? David is so quiet. That sword must have been so sharp because he cut Guy walks out, didn't realize he had a big old hole in the back of his. <laughs> he had to do something and say, listen, man, I could have killed you. I'm trying to help you. I feel terrible for cutting it off, but I could have cut your neck off, and I didn't do it. He waited and waited and waited till God stepped in and did what he needed to do for Saul. That's the heart God wants us to have. Don't be pushed. Matter of fact, when you walk out today, I don't want you rushing out like you normally do when I'm here. All right? Walk out slow. I mean, really. I mean, try it. Just walk out a little slower. People are going to think you're crazy. That's all right. Just let them go around you, pass you. Just stay in the right lane and just walk out slow. If you don't do it at church, do it at home. Just everything. Move your hands slow. Just do something. Just drink slow. You know, change the channel slow. Just, what you're doing is trying to train yourself from the outside in. Calm. Down. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I've tried this stuff, man. I am cooler than I've ever been before. I'm not cool yet, but I'm cooler than I've been. That woman there prayed for me a long time ago. She said, would you please calm down when she first met me? Did you calm down? Huh? Huh? Am I going fast? What? 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 <laughs> You're finally learning how to slow down to the speed of God. That's what we're going to do, right? Stand upon your feet. God bless you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Stay of the course. I love that. Stay in your lane.
brother said, stay your course. Stay in your lane. Run at your pace. This is your pace. Don't let people push you. That's no call for you to procrastinate. But it's you to run within yourself. You'll get there far faster and far better if you do. Just bow heads for a moment. Dear Lord, I ask you to seal these words in their hearts. Even when they get in their cars and leave today, Lord, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do one mile an hour under the speed limit today. I'm going to do that for the next week. One mile an hour under the speed limit. Just let these people go around me. Just as a sign. As a, just as, a, as an exercise. An exercise of faith in you, Lord. Slow it down. It's okay. Don't get anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Just pray. And he will guard our hearts and minds.